0: You are listening to the Catholic Thinkers Podcast, a free treasury of instruction in the Catholic intellectual tradition. If you enjoy this lecture, please visit us at catholicthinkers.org forward slash donate. This is Father James Shaw. Today we'll begin with the reading of books 3 and 4 of Aristotle's Ethics. we read books 1 and 2. And we now continue the edition that I recommend is the Hackett edition, but any edition of Aristotle is all right. In the first two books, we begin with a overall view in Book One of the purpose of human life, which is happiness, and the and the candidates for that, which are disputed over the years, but which are makes sense, which could be either pleasure or um, honors, or uh, money, or contemplation, or study, as he says. Aristotle says that everything we do, we do for happiness, and that that is what is behind all of the searches in these other areas that we are looking for. He says in the Book 2 that happiness has to do with the practice of the virtues. So Book 2 begins this general discussion about what are the virtues, and a virtue stands in the middle between two extremes, a too much and a too little. Virtue is a habit. And the opposite of a, virtue, of a virtue is a vice, which is a bad habit. That is to say, a habit is when we learn to do something easily and uh, familiarly so we don't have to think about it all the time. Aristotle begins by pointing this out that <clears throat> what virtue is and the great doctrine of virtue and the means. Then he goes <coughs> through briefly. All of the virtues, the moral virtues, what he mean by these are the moral virtues and not the intellectual virtues, although he talks of the intellectual virtues in Book 6. The moral virtues are those virtues under which we have our control over things which can be otherwise. That is to say, that need not to be this way or that way, but we have to make it this way or that way. So it has to do with our freedom as we'll see in Book 3 today. So in Book Two then, At the end of Book 2, he goes through the four main virtues, as I call them, namely um, justice, temperance, uh, bravery, and prudence. And he gives you a brief overview of those there. Remember that each virtue has an object, something in us which is there naturally, which is ours to pay attention to, to rule, to guide, to put our reason on so that we don't do too much or too little according to the virtue. So the object of each virtue is something you need to remember. The object of the virtue of courage is our fears and our pains. We have them whether we like it or not. We need to guide them or control them. The object of temperance is our pleasures. The object of justice is how we stand and deal with others. And then the very nature of prudence is the intellectual virtue of the moral virtue, that is to say, how we put our reason on all of our virtues, whether it be prudence or temperance or fortitude or the others. Then he says there's a number of minor virtues, which we'll talk about in today's discussion, uh, such as liberality or control of our speech, uh, that also causes can cause us trouble and need to be guided and uh, need to be done well. So now we'll begin with the um, end of book two again, because there Aristotle gives a brief little bit of advice, which is worthwhile remembering, about how to achieve the mean in something. He, in the book itself, is not interested in knowing what virtue is, but in being virtuous. No, we need to know what it is, but. The purpose of Aristotle's book is to do the things, to be the things that he's talking about. He repeats that every mean has two extremes, a more and a less. The midpoint of each one will be somewhat different for each one. And I say it may be harder for you to control your anger than it is for me. So be the mean for each one is different. Uh, so so it is, it is needed to pay attention to people who are different in that regard. And this is part of Aristotle's practicality. Not everyone, but only one who knows, finds the midpoint in a circle. So also in getting angry, or giving or spending money. It is easy, and anyone can do any of these things, but doing them in the right to the right person in the right amount and the right time uh, for the right purpose and in the right way is no longer easy, nor can everyone do it uh, so well. Aristotle then gives three bits of advice on how to recognize or to help uh, to do what is the right thing to do uh, and not in the abstract, but in these particular circumstances before us. Principle number one, he says, to steer clear of the more contrary extreme. What this means is simply that most of us are likely to be too angry rather than not angry enough. Both can be vices. So knowing this, we pay attention particularly to what happens when we are in situations, when we are in situations where we can uh, be angry, principle number two is to avoid the easier extreme. Know our own tendencies. That is why the ethics points to doing and not just knowing about things. Uh, so, from the pleasures or the pains that arise uh, that arise in us we should uh, uh, tend toward that which is more difficult in order to arrive at the mean. And principle number three is beware, be careful about pleasures. Pleasures have a proper place in life, but it must be ruled actively so that it responds uh, to what is reasonable. Some of this is discussed in uh, my book, reasonable pleasures. Aristotle adds that it is not easy to define the way we should be angry, with whom and about what and for how long. This is why action is always done in particular, in a particular instance, and is variable. That is why ethics is not an exact science, but one of insight and judgment about what the particular act involves. Books 3 and 4 take up in more detail each of the virtues. Book 3 first discusses this very necessary question in the beginning. How is it right to blame or praise someone for for what he does or what he does not do? That is another way of identifying what ethics and politics are about. Those things we rightly or wrongly praise or blame is what ethics and politics are about. Praise and blame are not possible unless we are responsible for our acts. So, book three wants to ask about this kind of question. Aristotle does this in a negative fashion, but it makes perfect sense. Aristotle, indeed, always makes sense. He basically asks, in the beginning of chapter 3, what are the three reasons why we may not be responsible for our actions? That is, why we may not be praised, or blamed for them. He gives three reasons that you have all used yourselves in defending your actions. One is ignorance. I did not know I was hitting Johnny. Two, passion. I was so angry that I lost complete control. This is rare, but it happens. Or three, force. He pulled the trigger uh, with my hand on the gun, on the, on the trigger. I didn't do it. Each of these are or can be more or less responsible for freedom can create, uh, be greater or lesser in each of these cases. It depends on the facts. Basically, it is common sense Aristotle is the common sense philosopher. That is, we know things just by learning about them. You don't need a book. You learn by seeing them. I do not think this is difficult to understand. The voluntary is opposed to the involuntary. We talk about our will as opposed to our intellect the latter know what is there the former what we do about it how we act or for or against it both of these powers are spiritual or intellectual powers which make us different from non-rational beings and like other rational beings gods or spirits or angels we are the beings in the universe with both mind and body, the only ones. This is why the basic definition of man in Aristotle is he is a rational animal. There are other definitions that follow from this definition. We are also political animals or laughing animals or the making animals, that is, homo falver, the man who makes. Next, Aristotle discusses what he calls deliberation and decision. What is this about? To talk about ethics, or the rule of ourselves over ourselves, we need to ask what we do when we put a human action, or making, Into reality. Remember, the world is full of two sorts of things with very different origins. There are things that neither you nor I put there, like the moon or a cow or the Mississippi River. We deal with these things as we encounter them. Our friends are also put there. But there are things in the world that are only there because they proceed out of a human being who may or may not have put them there. These are roughly divided into things that we do or uh, act and those we make. A doing or acting means that I have been courageous in time, this time and place. A making means that I have a ch- uh, a chair out, made out of wood that I made myself. Save. This discussion of craft is found also in Book Six. Look up in the glossary and the Hackett book for these words. To deliberate means that you have a lot of things you might do. Your mind tells you information that you could have gone to college, say, at Bates or Duquesne or LSU. But no, you went to, say, Alabama. What did you do when you did this? You decided... You chose one over three or four or a thousand others. To decide requires your will. Your will does not know. Your mind knows, but you, through your will, point yourself to Alabama because you want to play soccer there, say. They gave you a scholarship. This brings up the problem of your end from Book 1, your own definition of happiness, the one that operates in you. Why would you think playing soccer at Alabama would make you happy or be a means to it? It could be. In any case, this is what you decided. And once you decide on this one thing, the decision is about one thing. Then you cannot go to uh, Alabama and LSU at the same time. The principle of contradiction, I cannot be one place and the other at the same time. You stop deliberating about the other choices of school until, of course, you decide to transfer to Texas or UCSD, Aristotle also teaches on the difference between pure validity and deliberation about something. Ethics only deals with what we are actually what we actually can or cannot do. We do not deliberate on how many moons are around Jupiter or who won the Civil War. These are facts. We do not even deliberate over how much we weigh. We only deliberate about what is in our power to do or to not to do. This is the only thing that brings us praise or blame when we do them. If Shaw does not know the weight of the moon, the only thing that can be said of him is that he is dumb, not that he is a bad man. Volition or vileity means that we can dream about things we would like to be or to do. Aristotle even mentions living forever. We could wish <clears throat> we would be Uh, uh, movie stars or some other thing completely out of the realm of reason in our case. Aristotle talks about things because we do things. You have all met people who have outlandish felieties. They want to own Wyoming, but all they can manage is a mobile home in, in Kansas City. The final part of book two lists the virtues that Aristotle speaks of in the Ethics. What he does at the end of the book three, at the end of book three, is to give a more elaborate discussion of what is courage and temperance. I think you can understand what he is driving at From the text, courage has an object, our fears and pain. We are given these for our good in the way if you uh, note and pass away, because you did not know you had an infected tooth. So in other words, if you uh, didn't didn't know you were in pain, you would never go about improving it. This is part of the sort of being we are. We are mortal being. To be courageous is is the great virtue of existence. We have to be courageous to stay alive, to defend ourselves and others. Cowardice is a vice. That means we do not stand for what is right. Without bravery, we lose our place in being. We cease to be. This is thus the first virtue, the virtuous addressed to existence itself. <clears throat> if we do not exist, nothing else follows. Dead things don't think. There is also uh, too much. We can be rash in going too far in exposing our, ourselves to danger. The fine line between, say, in war is sometimes very difficult to determine. What determines the particular act is always prudence, which we will see later in more detail. Temperance is the universal virtue that is the one that comes up most of the time in our lives. It is the rule of our pleasures. We call book one of the on this question of the end. Aristotle has great discussion later on about pleasure in books 7 and 10. He is not against it. He just wants us to know what it is and what is it is related to, how it uh, relates to our rule of ourselves. We can be praised or blamed Or why we use our fears or pleasures. We do it all the time. And Aristotle's basic observation, we rule them, we do not rule us. That is his basic thing, let us rule them and let them rule us for our end. This is the discussion of the ends we chose and it is important. Aristotle thinks that the primary scope of temperance or moderation is over matters of food and sex. He mentions smell and hearing, but doubt if too many people have problems with them, though they can over perfumes and things like that. Aristotle thinks that the proper pleasure should accompany every act that belongs to it. Praise or blame, sin or virtue, result not so much from the pleasure, but in the wrong use or purpose of the act in which it exists. Basically, everything human has a proper pleasure connected with it, seeing, hearing, smelling, running, and especially thinking. I will henceforth try to say something on these readings as we go along. But I am not sure in any case that you may miss things. I will tend to repeat as we go along. Aristotle says our present inquiry, that is say the ethic, does not aim as others do, the metaphysics for example, at study or contemplation. For the purpose of our examination is not to know what virtue is, but to become good, since otherwise the inquiry would be of no use to us. That is, if I know the definition of what is virtue, but I'm not virtuous, what good is it? That is, it is quite possible for you to know what justice or temperance is but not be yourself, just or temperate. Virtues are habits that have to be acquired, not simply known. This has to be done so that we can be expected to act justly or bravely or temperately when the occasion arises, and that we will not uh, act viciously for our own good without relations to others, all this at the right time, at the right place, right circumstances. If you know what the above sentence means, uh, you are on your way. Basically, the first part of Book 3 deals with the question of why we are responsible for our acts. Without this consideration, there is no praise or blame. No real free act for which we are have responsibility. Aristotle suggests things that can reduce responsibility or eliminate it fear, ignorance, and passion. He likewise makes clearer uh, what we should do when we deliberate and decide to do something. All acts are in the singular. I go to this store, not that. But because I might have gone to four different stores, I have to decide which one. Otherwise, I stand still. By now, you should know what a virtue is, as say a good habit, a vice is opposite, bad habit. What is a mean, midway between two extremes? Why it is not mathematically defined. That is to say, it's not a mathematical conclusion about what is too much or too little. It's a judgment. You should know that things um, that things that can be praised or blamed are different in origin and reality from those which cannot be praised or blamed because they have this element of freedom to it, which gives responsibility. I praise John for choosing to train with 100, for the 100-meter dash. I do not praise a leaf uh, that falls in the wind. I may think it beautiful, but it is not the cause of its movement or beauty. Ethics refers only to those realities in the universe that exists because human reason and choice put them there. Book four of the Ethics deals with a number of what I call minor virtues. Minor does not mean they are unimportant. They may be very important at a given time or place. Again, each virtue has an object that is to be ruled. This object is given with nature. You do not give yourselves the power or emotion of fear. That is already in you. That comes with whatever it is that caused you to be a human being and not a turtle. Aristotle holds that courage is a virtue of keeping alive. Before we can act, We must live, and it must be a good thing to live and to keep alive. This virtue has connected with things like war and self-defense and prohibition of suicide, hope even. Temperance is the most universal virtue. We generally are not faced with bravery every day. But we are faced with temptation every day, with temperance every day. How do we rule the given pleasures that we have in our nature? The point of Aristotle is that we know from our experience that we can have some, not always, absolute uh, control over our pleasures or our desires, such as they do not deflect us from our end discussed in Book 1, remember. Pleasure, like wealth, is a possible definition of our end. As such, it is something for which you will be praised or blamed in your use of it. Right time, right place, right circumstances. That is, say, that's when you will be praised or blamed, when you use them properly. We now have fear and pleasure discussed. Prudence and justice will come up later. We noted that money, that is, say, wealth, was touched on in Book 1 as one of the possible definitions of justice. In Aristotle, everything coheres and comes back again. In chapter four, the following objects are proposed for rule, as a rule, as putting our mind on the thing in us. Hence, for a virtue, and two vices, each one has. He says one: we have to deal with our money. Two: we have to deal with honors. Three: we have to deal with our anger. Fourth: we have to deal with our speech. That is, whether we tell the truth or lie. Fifth, we have to talk about our manners, how we, how we deal with others. And sixth, we have to deal with our wit, how we use our power of uh, joking and so forth. Aristotle also speaks of shame, which deserves some attention, though it is mostly involuntary, but a good indication of a person's inner soul particularly of the young, as he says. Remember, he deals with the objects because they are already an issue of our being. In one sense, the history of economics and political liberty has its origin in the Aristotelian discussion about wealth and its rule at the beginning of Book 4. The Greek word eleutheria means that sort of liberty or freedom we have because we have wealth in sufficiency to do what men do when they do anything in prosperity. Aristotle simply recognizes this situation because of our finiteness and connection with a body as essential in what we are. He will hold that without some wealth or material good, we cannot be what we are. So it is not unnatural or abnormal to have material things. The opposite is true. But here, as in Book 1 of The Politics, he is countering the famous position of Plato about the communality of wives, children, and property as the best way to organize the family and the palace. This is already the controversy between socialism or communism and a private property state. The translation in the Hackett edition uses the word generosity to describe the virtue of ruling our wealth when we uh, have a moderate amount of wealth i tend to use the word liberality aristotle begins by noting that here are two situations or two kinds of virtue depending on whether we are whether we have much or little property thus liberality is the virtue of the person who has a moderate amount of property while munificence is the virtue of the man who has much. Aristotle does not think that having much wealth is wrong or bad. In fact, he thinks it is a good provided that it is properly ruled. Thus, whether we are good or bad does not depend for Aristotle on whether we have much or little wealth, but on how we use whatever we have, much or little. The relatively poor can be virtuous or vicious, the same with the rich. Indeed, Aristotle asks what the wealthy person should do with his wealth and suggests that it should be used for things of good, of the good, of beauty, and of truth. This is indeed the origin of all natural of philanthropy first all next uh, discusses our rule of honor again there are normal honors and great honors this is the famous discussion of the magnanimous man the worthy man uh, who deserves to be properly honored again honor was one of the candidates For the definition of happiness. This discussion becomes famous later on because of the Christian virtue of humility and whether these two virtues are compatible. Basically, Aristotle maintains that honor is due to what is honorable, whoever performs the honorable deed. To honor means basically to praise or to acknowledge a good deed or act. Thus, we cannot honor ourselves. This is why honor cannot be the definition of happiness, because what is worthy is not the honor, but the reason for the honor. This is the remote origin of all discussions of aristocracy And sentence. It is an acknowledgment that some people do more or are responsible for more than others. As such, honor is due to them. The vice opposed to giving honor is envy. It is a much more spiritual vice than greed, which is the normal vice associated with wealth. Again, everyone, great or small, will have something worthy of honor. Aristotle next discusses anger under the term mildness. Actually, anger is something that is usually quite easy to see and thus forms a good model in which to understand all the other virtues and vices. Not to have the capacity to be angry is not to be a human being. Anger as such is a good thing, though we tend in English to use it as it refers to the vice too angry, we say. Basically, there are times when we should be angry, and times when we should control our anger. Well, We should always rule it or control it, even when we are justly angry about something. As a good rule of the thumb, tell me what makes you angry, and I will tell you what you are, what your soul is, and what it is like. Note that even if you do not tell me, I can note this by watching how you act Not to be angry at something wrong is not a virtue. Aristotle next takes up friendliness. How observant Aristotle is. In meeting people, living together and associating in conversation, locked in conversation, is what life is all about, in a way. And actions, uh, so meeting and conversation and actions, some people seem to be ingratiating. Uh, These are the ones who praise everything to please us and never cross us, but think they must cause no pain to those they meet. In contrast to those, there are people who uh, oppose us on every point and do not care in the least about uh, causing pain. And they are called cantankerous or quarrelsome in Aristotle. Remember, both of these vices, never crossing anyone or always doing so, these are times, there are times when we should disagree, not for its own sake, but because of truth or virtue. Likewise, to be crossing everyone just because we are unwilling to appreciate the views of another is also wrong. It is to be noted here that this virtue is not what Aristotle will discuss in in the great books 8 and 9 of the Ethics as Friendship. Here we are talking about a kind of general friendliness to those who we do not know. It deals with ways to treat strangers. In general, a man will treat people in the right way when he meets them. More exactly, he will aim to avoid causing pain and to share, and he will try to share pleasure with them while always referring to what is fine and beneficent, as Aristotle said. Next, Aristotle talks of truthfulness. He is talking about telling the truth in our relations to others, not in boasting or in too much Self deprecation. Here we do not mean someone who is truthful in agreements uh, or in matters of justice and injustice. That is necessary also, since these concern a different virtue. But someone who is truthful both in what he says and in how he lives. When nothing about justice is at stake, simply because it is the state of character that he possesses. So, he, so when occasion comes up to tell the truth, he does tell the truth. In justice, if you have to tell the truth because it impinges on contracts, then it is not exactly the same thing. But our character is revealed when we uh, tell the truth when nothing more is at stake. So if we just tell the truth, that is the more active sign. Quote, for the lover of truth who is truthful when nothing is at stake will still be keener to tell the truth when something is at stake, as Aristotle said. And he goes on to explain why there is too much and a too little here. Character, incidentally, when the character means the that that complexes of virtues and vices that this particular person has and which he displays in all of his actions. Aristotle finally discusses wit. This has to do with meeting people or social humor. Some people, Aristotle observes, stop at nothing to raise a laugh and care more about that than about saying what is seemly and avoiding pain to the victim of his joke. End of the quote. We cause pain to others uh, by uh, carrying jokes too far. Aristotle is not against jokes, but he uh, sees that they must be within certain, uh, uh, have a certain propriety. We should be capable of carrying on uh, an amusing, friendly conversations. Some types of jokes can be prohibited by law. The vices uh, against this virtue are buffoonery. And the boorishness, the buffoon finds a joke in everything, but the boor finds it in nothing. What follows to the end of the chapter is Aristotle's again brief discussion of shame, which is something worth thinking about. So this takes us to the end of chapter four. So now that we have an overview of all of the virtues and some comment on the character and nature of each one of them in the general discussion about man's end and how to achieve it through his acts and habits. So the next discussion will be in Book 5, and that will be concerning Aristotle's famous discussion of justice. We hope you enjoyed listening to Catholic Thinkers. Please visit us at catholicthinkers.org forward slash donate to help us keep this content free.